0: It's great to be back in Aventura. We had an extraordinary holiday. Lots of stuff, lots of moving parts. Good times, good holidays, Baruch Hashem, new community, we had some uh, good shiurim. Last, uh, I think it was last week, Soshana Rabba shiur, nine hours over here was a big hit, Baruch Hashem. Um, It was such a big hit, we didn't feel it going. At 5.40 in the morning, I saw myself, uh, they told me the shiur was going to be from 9 to 6. And at uh, 5.40 in the morning, I saw on the camera, I asked, I, I said to myself, oh, okay, so we have a little while, meaning I, we have another few hours left. And I was like, what do you mean a little while? We have 20 minutes. I didn't know it was 5.40 in the morning. So it was an enjoyable shiur, a lot of questions. I think we actually had more people at the end than we had in the beginning. We had more people at the end than we had in the beginning. So Baruch Hashem was very good. Um, we continue with Musal uh, Pirkei Avot number 69. Uh, Of course, we'll start with uh, some of your questions. We have Pirkei Avot Dalit, 414, which is uh, from Rabbi Yochanan Asandlar. Rabbi Yochanan, the shoemaker. He's given us a Mishnah. We also have Parashat Noach. We also have a brand new year. We also have a lot of Balagan in the world. And we also have your questions to answer. And we have some new people. So the questions from the new people are first, because you guys are on board of you guys already. Let's get new qu- new people. So give me some questions. Asked well, you're not new. <laughs> you're old. You're older than everybody else here. You were here for me nine hours with me yesterday. You definitely you had plenty of time last week to ask questions. yeah go ahead. Chabad. Anything? <laughs> Nothing yet? Okay. Psedo. So while they ask questions, if you think anything, let me know. Go ahead. No. Okay. We'll go back to you since you uh, you didn't have enough questions last week.
1: Okay. And now they found out that it's not okay to stare at the rainbow. But they used to utilize the rainbow as part of the, um, the work they do. So they're wondering if it's okay to still do that um, as part of the procession, or should they also get a draft to the, rain, the, rain, the rainbow as a medium?
0: Staring at rainbow. Okay. Next question. Go
1: ahead. Disasters the in the world. Are uh-huh. is, is it going to get worse till the Mashiach comes and it's going to stop? Or it's going to down by itself? Yeah,
0: Mashiach. Getting worse. Okay, so is it going to get worse before Mashiach? Is it going to stop? Okay. Next, there
1: is a prohibition to not give respect to wicked people.
0: Can so Marama said, to to Tutu, Tutu, Tutu,
1: Tutu, That it and he continues to do it. This person, are you
0: allowed to give them mistake because they are a Kohen and they do the fat mm-hmm. Excuse me? Was a Cohen, was Wait, a he's, a, he's a he's he's a Kohen and he's married to a Goya, or he's going out with a Goya? Okay, so that's two questions. Wicked people honor Kohen With non Jew. Non Jew. Okay. So that actually answers your question. It will get worse before the Mashiach
1: comes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Next question.
1: Um, My question is if only Chava sinned with the date, what would have
0: happened if I had never sinned or vice versa? If only Chava sinned. If only.
1: Or <laughs> I well, the
0: idea was the second one. Yeah. If only Adam sinned, or or vice versa. Okay. We said batikneset. Well, they say they're all going to
1: right
0: all the batikneset will go. Oh, you already answered my question. Thank you. All the batikneset will go. All the batikneset. The clubs don't go. <laughs> the okay. pubs don't go. The the hangout places don't go. The batikneset oh, go. But take this and go, yes. Go, Chavod. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, we make the Torah on the Ken. Why not the al have a meaning? Why is the Mimah more important than the Shilas or any other one? I would think they're all of each other important. Uh, each has its own significance. Each has its own significance. I mean, I guess it's a similar to a uh, when you say mutzi You see, motzi lechem in uh aretz covers everything else. Why? Because the lechem is the ikal. That's the ikal. It's the ikal. Why is but the, it's, the, why, why is, the, is the lulav ikal? Is a very good question. As of now, I don't know the answer. Maybe during a shoe I'll know the answer. As of now, I don't know the answer. It's so a very good. Why is the lulav ikal? Because actually, you're right. Technically, the etrog should be ikal. Technically they talk should be eco. Technically. In
1: English you say bench estic. Right. The discussion
0: is yeah. bench and speaking bench and estate the vote as the that's how they say it. Just yeah. say how to kill us all Yeah no no yeah, you're right, you're right. Why is the love not the equal? See, no guy already stumped me. You guys yeah. six months you're not stumping nothing. I <laughs> this guy's scaring me already. I have no 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 more questions from this side. Okay, no go. We have seven so far. Um Pasha Belisheet. Belisheet. After um, Adam and ate the in the Can
1: after if they went and ate the fruit of life, would they still have the Yesara knowing everything or would they go back to a pure state and live in the garden without Sarah or the
0: fruit of life? How is this going to connect to Noah, Rabbi Yochanan HaSandlal, the situation in the world? I have no idea, but God bless you guys. It's good. How? Noach. 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 I thought that Hashem would have something relevant. Hashem is having mercy on me now. Only Noach and his family lived. Not everyone except Noach and his family lived.
1: Yeah, I mean, Noach
0: and... Noach and his family lived. Yes, yes.
1: So, the president the... I remember what
0: smoke, the, uh, uh, the book of um, Nephilim. Yeah, they said they were still
1: living. And Og was the last of them. So, how did he survive? And was it just another generation?
0: Good. He was still alive. He was still alive. Actually, you survived. You right. survived. The uh, on, on top of the, uh, on top of the ark. On a teva. Uh, okay. But there's more to it. Uh, ten. Right. Vomit them. No, you already did it. What do you mean? We are in the exile. More than half of Amis is on, outside. We're here. We were the ones vomited. Well, no well yeah, I mean, if you talk about land, yes, but in essence, yes. Yes and no. Oh, no, no. It's a secular state. Yeah, no, it's a secular state. But vomiting us out of the land, the land being a holy land, it's still a holy land. Not a holy government, unfortunately, but a holy land. Uh, vomiting us out, unfortunately, already happened and continues to happen. Uh, okay, yeah, let's start with these. we got ten questions. We've got a photographer staring at rainbows. Uh, disasters in the world, are they going to settle down or get worse before Mashiach comes? Are we allowed to honor wicked people, or to what extent uh, does that honor go uh, if the wicked person happens to be a Kohen, uh, who is wicked because he is married uh, to a non-Jew? And are we still supposed to honor him because he does Bilkat Koanim? Is he allowed to do Bilkat Koanim? Uh... If only Adam sinned, only Chava sinned, only Eve sinned, would the world be different? Uh, Bet Knesset, that's non-kosher. Does that include in the prophecy of all the Bate knessets? Their Kedusha, their, whether it be physical or in spiritual aspect of it. Uh, go to uh, Israel. I kind of answered that question already. Lulav, being the Ikal of the Arba minim, Why? Uh, fruit of life. If they ate the fruit of life, if Adam and Chava ate the fruit of life with anything, we different. Uh, The Nephilim that died during uh, the flood, this week's parasha. How come they reappear later in the uh, Torah? Uh, They also reappear in the Torah when we go uh, when the Meraglim, the uh, the spies, go to the land of Israel and they say we saw giants, giants descendants of the Nephilim. And also we see the fight between Og Melech Bashan, Og the king of Bashan, and Moshe Rabbeinu. So how, what happened? Where did they come from? Uh, we answered that briefly, which is that Og survived. Why did he survive is the question. Uh, and uh, why was Moshe Rabbeinu scared of him? Moshe Rabbeinu was scared of him. Why do we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was scared of him? <coughs> Hashem says, don't be afraid. No one says don't be afraid if you're not afraid. Right? So why was Moshe Rabbeinu scared of him? That's, that's the question I asked. Hazak. Hazak Yes, he had the merit. Uh, another one is the land is vomiting us. Has vomited us, continues to vomit us. Is there more vomiting that's going to happen? How long did Og Melchabashan live? Og Melech live? Years, Very good question. Where's his birthday? Yeah, he's from one to the next. Did they sing Happy Birthday And Tevat Noach? Happy birthday to you. Og, you're so big and cute. No? Anything? Og, birthday. Birthday party for Og. I'll give a long time. Yalla, okay. We said Hashem be'ezrat Hashem and only be'ezrat Hashem will we actually be able to answer any of your questions, let alone all of your questions, and actually somehow have the merit, your merit, really, to connect it to some of the things we learned, Boch Hashem, this week in Mishnah, Parasha, Parashat Noach, and. Uh, we start with a Mishnah that I've talked to you guys about before, that connects a few things. Uh, in Gemara Bavah page forty-nine, a it uh, gives a big chidush about Parashat Noah. It says, whoever paid the punishment to the generation of the flood. Doa Palaga and the generation of the Tower of Babel. I'm sorry, Doa Mabul Beyanshe Doa Palaga. He will pay the punishment to the one who doesn't stand by his word. as the Mishnah. In so many words, says, Whoever punished these two disastrous generations, both that happened in our week's Pasha, Pasha Noach. In the year sixteen forty eight, I believe, or sixteen forty six, from creation, is Pash- when Parashat Noach takes place, and Shemit Barach says to Noach, sixteen fifty six. Uh, Hashemid Barach says to Noach that the world has gone above and beyond the threshold of having a right to exist. Hashem is known as El Rachum V'chanun. He's a merciful God. He's a patient God. But apparently that patience has an end. has an end, at least in this parasha. And even though at the end of the parasha he says he's not going to destroy the world the same way he destroyed the world at the time of Noach, Nonetheless, we still see that that patience wears thin with certain people on an individual basis. We see it every year. Unfortunately, I don't know if you guys notice, but after Rosh Hashanah, a lot of people die. I'm not sure if it's because I'm getting older or if it's just a reality of the world we live in but I've noticed that a lot of people died since Rosh Hashanah. And each year, I know more and more people that died right after Rosh Hashanah. A day after Rosh Hashanah, two days after Rosh Hashanah, a week after Rosh Hashanah, a month after. It's much like a plague of people that are dying. So the Midat din goes to work right away. With some people at least. Parashat Noach, Hashem Bach tells Noach to build himself, to build an ark. He actually doesn't say build an ark for yourself. He just says build an ark. The ark, he gives us the measurements of this ark. It's one and a half football fields. It's a huge, huge ark. One and a half football fields. And the height is approximately a half of a football field. It's huge. It's a monstrous ship. It's not like a little tiny fishing boat. It's huge. Bigger than Titanic. Huge, monstrous ship. But still, in reality, if you measure all the two animals, not even the seven pairs, but just two of every animal we have in the world, it's not enough. So obviously, there's a miracle that had to take place to fit whatever animals that exist in the world in this giant ship, but Hashem still wanted to make it look realistic, and therefore made Noach build this thing over the next hundred years. But still nonetheless, we see that despite Noach building it, anytime somebody asks him, what are you doing in the middle of the city? He says, listen, Hashem is going to destroy the world no one wanted to listen, kind of sounds like today, you come, you give shulim for free, you tell people to do tshuva, some people want to listen, some people don't want to listen, some people want to keep Shabbat, but they say maybe after I get married I'll keep Shabbat. I spoke to somebody today, I told him, listen, you got to do tshuva, it's not so hard, it's not actually as hard as you think. Why is it not as hard as you think? Because initially, before you start doing chuvai, before you start keeping Shabbat, kosher, and all the different things, before you start keeping it, it seems like a monumental thing. It seems so far away from you. It seems like it's so hard. What am I going to do on Shabbat? How am I going to handle life without smoking a cigarette? How am I going to handle life without watching the TV? How am I going to handle life without being on Facebook? How am I going to handle life without being on my phone? Chas <laughs> V'Shalom! It's spinning on the floor. It's like, listen, is there like a fast I can do instead of keeping Shabbat? It's like, anything, just don't let me keep Shabbat, because it sounds so far away. You tell the guy, listen, what about kosher? You have to eat kosher. Oh, kosher, what am I going to eat? Is there any food that's kosher in the world? What, do I have to eat, like uh, uh, little plants, like uh, carobs, like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? I have to grow a tree? Is there burgers for kosher people? It seems so far away before you do it, but the reality is, is actually once you take the first step, you trust Hashem. I don't know how to keep Shabbat. Let me try. What do you got to do? Food, you can't cook it. Okay, so how do you eat hot food? You're obligated to eat hot food on Shabbat. There's something called a plata, a hot plate. Buy a plata. $25, $30. One of the main things of, of Shabbat is onik Shabbat. Onik Shabbat means you have to eat hot food and you have to eat meat. Unless it disgusts you, unless you unless you're not you know you don't like to uh, you don't like meat or it's you know bad for you, you have to eat meat. It's part of Onik Shabbat. Eating hot food is part of Onik Shabbat. Shabbat is not just sitting home sleeping all day. So you start realizing, hey, it's not so bad. I can still eat food. As a matter of fact, the food on Shabbat tastes much better than the rest of the week. Same food, better taste. Why? There's an extra Tavlin. there's an extra ingredient called Shabbat. You can't buy it during the rest of the week. Only shows up by itself on Shabbat. And it's free. Don't sell them in supermarkets, even Amazon. So you have, it's not so bad the food. And not watching TV for a day, Ba'u Hashem. Not using my phone, Baruch Hashem. It's a vacation. All of a sudden, you don't feel like the need that you have to go to some uh, faraway island. You already had a vacation here. You didn't answer the phone. It's already a vacation. And little by little, you start realizing it's not only it's not so hard, it's actually enjoyable. It's enjoyable to be a Jew. It's enjoyable if you're doing it right. If you're doing it right, it's enjoyable to be a religious Jew that keeps all of the mitzvot. Not some of the mitzvot, but all of them. Shabbat, kosher, ta'arat mishpacha, name Allah, everything. Tzniyot, all of them. They're all enjoyable. If you're not enjoying it, lo bashamayini. Your mitzvot are not from shamayim. You made them up. If your mitzvot are not enjoyable, it's not from Hashem. You're doing something wrong. What Hashem gave you is enjoyable. What Hashem gave you is diamonds. If it's not enjoyable, you're doing something wrong. You're not understanding what you're doing, maybe. You translated something wrong. You're not using it the right way. You don't know anything about it, maybe. You don't know the significance of it. Similar to like somebody, Rabbi Mizrachia, Sheikh yeah, says this analogy, is a very good analogy. He says, one time a guy tells a guy, uh, listen, do me a favor, carry this sack up the mountain for me. Please, do me a favor, I'll pay you a hundred dollars. I need a hundred dollars. Fine, no, kept said, though give me the sack." He starts climbing the mountain, but it's hot, like uh, the day that uh, after uh, Avraham Avinu had Brit Milah. Hot, like Hashem just took the sun out of the nartik, the uh, the, the shell. Ooh, it's hot! And he's climbing the mountain, and all that. He's cursing this guy in his hundred dollars, and his wife calls him. Right in the last, he calls him. She didn't say anything. He's already angry at her. What do you want from me? Call me in the middle of the day. No, what do you want? No, I just wanted to see how you do. Wow, how could I be doing? I'm climbing a mountain with this giant sack that's so heavy and he's suffering and he hates life and everything is the worst and eventually he gets to the top of the mountain and he gets a call and it's the guy. He's like, this guy has the nerve to call me? He has the nerve to... I'm going to tell him off. No, yes, yes, what do you want? I just want to let you know the bag you carried... It's full of diamonds. Take one of them, give it to the guy across the mountain. The rest of it is yours. That's the real payment. All of a sudden, wow, it's so light. He's so happy. Honey, how are you? He calls his wife back. Honey, how are you? How's your day? I'm so worried about you. I just called you five minutes ago. You were Hitler. What do you mean, worried about me? No, no, no. I thought it was somebody else. It wasn't me. I love you, I miss you. All of a sudden everything changed. Why? Because now he knows he knows the reward. He knows the mashmaut. He knows the significance of what he just did. So if you're not enjoying the mitzvah, it's because you don't understand the significance of what you're doing. So to finish the point, in the beginning it looks far away, difficult, impossible. You start keeping it, you start realizing it's enjoyable, it's amazing, it's beautiful. Life is grand. You actually start enjoying a piece of ulama ba in this world. So, I tell people all the time, today I spoke to somebody, I told him, listen, gotta start keeping shabbat, I know it sounds hard. Gotta keep, you know, late feeling. it sounds hard, it's five minutes really for Hashem. Five, you have 24 hours, five minutes, 24 hours you have, each hour has 60 minutes. Five minutes to tefillin. Take a piece of leather, put it to you're finished. Finished. Five minutes, max. If it's more than five minutes, I'll give you money. What did he tell me? Oh, yeah, you know, I know, I know it's good, I know it's good. I just do things at my own pace. I know it's good, I know, I know it's good, I know. Yeah, yeah, Shabbat's good, I know, shmai yisrael is good, tefillin is good. It's just that I do things at my own pace, my own pace. I didn't want to say this, but everyone has to ask themselves this question. What makes you think, you little tiny chutzpah that you are, that your own pace is in the same pace of Hashem? What makes you think that God's going to wait for you? What makes you think that he's going to wait for you? Oh, no, no, I'm going to do it at my own pace. I'm going to keep mitzvot when, I, when, I, when, I, when my own pace, when I'm ready. I'm going to start learning Torah when I'm ready. A person doesn't make time to learn Torah every day has no ulama ba. No ulama ba. Doesn't make time to learn Torah. Basic, basic. I'm not talking about learning Torah all day, nine hours, ten hours a day. Basic time to learn Torah every day. Learns Torah every day. No ulama ba. Why? There's no way he can keep mitzvot. There's no way he could be a kosher Jew. There's no way he's not going. He's going to avoid making karet sins every day. Every day. No, I keep. I'm religious my whole life. Yeah, you're doing karet sins every day. You don't even realize it. You know how many yeshiva guys came to me didn't realize that wasting seed is the worst sin in the Torah. Yeshiva guys. Yeshiva guys. Twenty years in yeshiva, didn't realize wasting seed is the worst thing they could possibly do to themselves, spiritually, physically, and everything in between yeshiva, you didn't learn it, you don't know it. So the thing is, though, is that when you have Torah, Hashem is giving you a lifeline every day. He gives you a chance. When you say, no, I do things at my own pace, not only are you a sinner, you're also a chutzpan. You're an arrogant sinner. Why? I'm telling God how to run His world. Let Him wait for me. Let Him wait for me. So one of the things we learned from Parashat Noah is that eventually Hashem says, Time's up. Time's up. Finished. Done. Time's up. Now we just had an extraordinary holiday season. All of us made big promises. If you know what to do during the holidays, that's what you're supposed to do. Talk to Hashem. If you can't cry... Even if it's alligator tears and that real, it's still better than nothing. Most people don't cry. Most people are too focused on the other guy's watch. I can't believe he's wearing a $25,000 watch. Psh, this guy must be doing well. Bekneset, it. they're worrying about the other guy's watch. Or they saw the guy just parked a $100,000 car. $150,000 car. Psh, wow. The gold business must be doing good. Stock market must be doing good. Real estate, wow. Where are you living? In Florida? No, no, I got two houses. Oh, really? Pshh. The whole tefillah, is killing himself because this guy says he has two houses. He's not doing Chatano Avinu Pashanu to Hashem. He say Chatano Avinu Pashanu, Hashem, you Chatata. You gave him two houses, me only one. You made a sin, Hashem. They're angry at Hashem that he gave him two houses. We go to Bekneset, worried, but worried about the wrong thing. Worry about somebody else's watch, somebody else's car, somebody else's house, somebody else's wife, Hashem Yerachem. All types of horrible things. So to answer your question, at the end of times, one of the Nevuot, one of the prophecies is that the Batei around the world, their kedusha, whether it be in physical form or spiritual form, most likely spiritual, that sounds more realistic. But again, end of time doesn't have to be realistic. Supposed to go and have a stone of some kind in, uh, in, you know, implanted in, in, in the Bet mikdash Now, what about all of the batikneset that are not so much batikneset, more like a pub? People come and show and tell the newest suit, the newest Armani uh, suit, the newest. Uh, uh, Fendi watch the newest, I don't know whatever whatever styles there are in the world. That's what they it's a show and tell. So, like I said to you earlier, the nevoah pertains to betekniset, not the pubs. Pubs don't go to bet the mikdash. Pubs go to a different place called Gainom. But betekniset, however few there are in the world that are still kosher, yes, they will have big marriage bezadashem. They're the ones that are actually going to bring the mashiach Bezat Hashem. So, the Sfarim Akhtoshim tell us something scary. Conversation between Rabbi Eliezer agadol that's Rabbi Eliezer Ben Horkinos, and his student Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva asks his teacher, and he says, Kvodarav, when is the Mashiach going to come finally? Rabbi al Gadol says when there's one Minyan, when there's one Bit Knesset with one Minyan, one Minyan is ten people. One Bit Knesset, one Minyan, where everybody agrees. One Bit Knesset, one Minyan, everybody agrees. On what? Everything. On Torah. alacha, minagim, everybody agrees. This is as scary as can be. And the reason why, if you understand, is that Baruch Hashem... Today's world, it's easy to be a Jew. As much as the world hates us, like always, that's all instilled by Hashem, it's technically easy to be a Jew today, very, very easy to be a Jew in comparison to what happened a few hundred years ago, even what happened 70 years ago. Even more so, 2,000 years ago. It's easy to be a Jew. There's a, some communities in America, in Europe, all over the world where you literally have a big Knesset in every corner. Not one. Every corner you have. The difficult part is not opening a Batekneset. The difficult part is getting a kosher Minyan. You have people showing up to Batekneset. But unfortunately, not all of them can be counted for Minyan. One of those people is a Kohen that's a Avaryan. What's a Kohen that's a Avaryan? A Kohen that's a Avaryan is a Kohen that makes sins on a regular basis. Not a sin once in a while. If a Kohen, for example, or anybody, made a sin, I don't know, he ate non-kosher meat today. He had he likes uh, McDonald's. Non-kosher McDonald's. And he made an Avera, he ate McDonald's. Today, not every day. Today he made a, okay, he's still kosher. Made a sin, but he's still kosher. But if this Kohen shaves with a razor on a regular basis... He's avaryan. Lama avaryan, because he goes against Divrei Chazal on a regular basis. Why a regular basis? Because you shave on a regular basis. Even more so if he's married to a non Jew. Once a Kohen is married to a non Jew, then he's not only not allowed to say the Brikata Koanin, you're actually not allowed to count him in Minyan. You're not allowed to count in minyan. If you have nine people and a person that's that are awake and a tenth person is sleeping. He's kosher, but he's sleeping. He's asleep, sleeping. Like I was almost half asleep uh, during uh, after the nine-hour lecture. I was like half asleep. You couldn't really like, be sure if I was there or not. After nine hours of talking, you get tired a little bit, Baruch Hashem. So you can still count me in minyan. Why? Baruch Hashem, I try to be kosher. But a kohen... He can know the entire Torah by heart. He's married to a Goya. Cannot be counted a Minyan. Cannot be counted a Minyan. He's not considered part of Am Yisrael. So, this is a person that not only are you not allowed to count a Minyan, you're not allowed to show him honor. And Gemara Sotah, Rabbi Gadol, the same Rabbi of, uh, of Rabbi Akiva, says that showing a, such a person honor is a sin from the Torah. To sin against the shim. Not allowed to show a person like that, uh, a wicked person like that, that sins regularly, uh, any honor whatsoever, any kavod whatsoever. It doesn't mean you start beating him up in the middle of the street. It doesn't mean you start cursing him out or anything. But showing honor and re, and and, and, uh, and dishonor is two different things. Honor is giving him the ability to do brikatakwani. Honor is giving him the ability to be the chazan honor is to give him to be the Kore, which by the way happened when did it happen just a couple of years ago when I first moved to Boca I saw there's a guy that reached from the Torah in the bigness that I was going to and you know in the beginning I try to stay out of everybody's business I go I pray I leave but you could do that for so long eventually you start getting to know people Get to know things about different people. And I find out that the guy that's the Baal Kore every week, not just once in a while, but the Baal Kore every single week, he's a Kohen and he's married to Goya. He's a Kohen and he's married to Goya. Not like he's dating and it's a today. Married for years, to Goya. And he's the Baal Kore, meaning he reads from the Torah for the entire Keilah. So I, I mean, initially I verified, double checked, triple checked, quadruple checked every check you could possibly get. You guys might have gotten a check in the mail for it. Every check you could get. Now, who is the guys are not only Avoyan, this guy Rasha Meirusha. I asked my rabbi. I'm like, we need a. He said, what do you mean? This is really, this is really what's happening. I said, yeah. So we had a formal answer written because I went to the rabbi, I told him to the rabbi of the kila. He's like, no, listen, we're mekilim. We have leniencies. So we have leniencies. So I went to my rabbi, i like, is this such a thing as a leniency? He says, not only is there no such thing as a leniency for such a thing, he's not allowed to be counted for a minyan. You can, as a matter of fact, you're not allowed to have him in your big you have to kick him out have to kick him out because he's a Rasha B'mezid. On purpose. He knows what's going on. If he knows how to read from the Torah and he's still going out, he's still uh, married to a Goya, this is a Rasha merusha. This is a Kofar gamul. You have to throw him out of the Beknesset. Put him on Kerem. So we have this uh response, maybe four or five page response that uh, my Rav put with I don't think any less than 50 different sources we sent to the rabbi of the Keilah. This is mamash over a four-month period. I'm begging the rabbi of the Keilah to get this guy to stop reading at the very least. Okay, whatever. You want to include him in your minyan. Good luck to you. What can I tell you? I'm not telling you to kick the guy out. But get him to stop reading from the uh, Torah. Why? Because how every time? Now that I know, I have to leave the Biknesit. Every time he goes to Bekat Kohanim, I have to leave the Beknesset. You know how annoying that is? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. This guy goes to Bekat Kohanim. Okay, bye guys. What do you mean? We're just we're in the middle of, middle of Chazarat HaShats. We are, we're finishing Amidah. No, I gotta go. I gotta leave. I have to leave the Beknesset. I cannot be inside the Beknesset. This guy's on, on the Bima. I cannot. I have to leave the Beknesset. As soon as the epos over there, they give him honor, I have to leave the Beknesset. No, I finished already Amidah it's Shatz. the Khazatha The Bikat Koranim is already Khazat Shats. Right. It's the it's the uh, it's the review of the uh, of the Amidah. It's the review of the Amidah. How many so years was he doing it? Years he's there. I was there for only a few months at that point. I was there for I don't know, maybe six months, eight months or whatever. Let him, let him go. They are the ones that put him up there. Well, I say, he can have money don't make a difference. Whatever it what, was. No, he would not he didn't have that much money. You do not have that much money. It's just that... Anyway, long story short, we have an answer. We call the answer Chazan Avaryan. And Baruch Hashem, this answer was published uh, on our new website, which I'm very happy Baruch Hashem to announce. is launched as of now. Anyone that goes to Be'ezat Hashem.org, we have Baruch Hashem, our new website. And the new website has some articles. One of the articles... Is uh, by Rabbi Ephraim is the answer to this specific issue, an answer that he's responding to these rabbis, to a dayan, to a rabbi, to this so-called big people. Explain to them how you're not allowed, not only you're not allowed to have him as a chazan, you're not allowed to have him in the bikkness the club. Hashem eventually they took him out. But at that point, I realized there's something not wrong with the guy. There's something wrong with the rabbi. Because the rabbi knew the whole time. It's not, that he didn't, it's not that I didn't bring him a chidush. It's just that the rasha has a friend that's a merushah. They're together. It's like haman and Hitler, roommates. So, but you just assume no one's ever going to know, no one's going to care, no one's. No one said anything. Everybody else knew. No one said anything. There, People are there for years already. They're dealing with this. They like the way he sounds. They like the, his voice, the way he reads from the Torah. In Gemara Masechet Ta'anit, Masechet Ta'anit, page 16, says, if a keilah picks a Chazan based on his voice, but he's a Rasha, meaning he's not a uh, Chazan Agun, instead of bringing blessing to the keilah, he brings everyone curses. The whole keilah is cursed because of him. And there's no one, it specifically says in the Gemara, there's no one in the world that Hashem hates more than this Chazan. So now this answered a few of your questions, Baal Hashem. Now, so you have a, yeah. Like, this Chazan, the
1: Chazan like, he knows that Mary and Guria is causing the light. So i
0: answer the question. It's not Hashem. So now, we have a lot of promises that we made. Yom Kippur, Oshana, Hashem give me par Hashem give me refuah shlema, Hashem give me zivug, Hashem give me this, Hashem, 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 give me everything. Okay, besedot. Yom Kippur, we repeated, we double down. Whatever we asked for on Oshana, we said, you know what, if I'm already asking, let me ask for a little more. If that wasn't enough, Hashem, look, it's really hard to be in a sukkah. It's really hard to be in the Hashem, it's so hot. So, okay, you know what? If I'm going to do this with the, what? Oshana, Oshana, and all the Lula. Okay, give me some more. We ask for more stuff. We keep asking for Hashem for stuff. We give, 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 give. Oshana, Rabba, nine hours over here, we're asking for more stuff. No problem. Hashem has no problem. He wants to give it to you. No problem. But he asks you, can I have something a little? Can I have a little bit something back? A little bit. What is it like? Somebody went to the bank he says I want to borrow 10 million dollars. 10 million dollars. Bank says, "Listen, we're not going to lend you the money 10 million dollars, but there's a guy, a rich guy, he does private lending to people like you. You go to him, he goes to the guy. Yes, I'm looking for 10 million dollars." He says, uh, you, What do you want to do with it? He tells him, Listen, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do that. He says, them, No problem. Could okay, you have any collateral? You have something to back up the loan to $10 million with? The guy's a batlan, doesn't do anything in his life. He has nothing to back it up. He has a uh, $15 watch, Casio watch, he just bought from Amazon on discount for $5. That's all he has he doesn't have anything. Nothing he has. Doesn't mean how have a house and have a car, he have nothing. But the guy that has $10 million says, you know what? You look like a nice guy. You look like a really nice guy. You look like you have some ambition. I'm going to give it to you. And you know, $10 million is just the interest. The interest on $10 million is a half a million dollars a year. The interest. If you get a good deal, it's $500,000 a year. The interest. If it's, a, if it's a good deal from a bank, from a private lender, minimum $1.5 million. 15%. Minimum. That's the interest. On the ten million dollars per year, per year, he says. But listen, you don't really have any collateral. Do you have any way to pay me back? No. <laughs> I give you the cash. You watch. What can I give you? Can't give you the fifteen. Can't give you ten million. Can't give you the one point five million dollars in interest. Even if I pay out of the principal, I'm not going to be able to use it. Because you know what? I like you. You're a nice guy. You're asking for a lot. Seems like you have big dreams. You're asking for a lot, big dreams. I like people like you. I'm going to give it to you, and all I want you to give me is ten dollars a month. Anybody doesn't want that loan? Ten bucks a month? You could live fifty thousand years you're still not paying it back. But it's ten dollars a month. Do you care? You live to be like a uh, like old gemilch habashan, fifteen hundred years old. You're still not paying back ten dollars a month. You care? What do you care? He says there's only one requirement. Give me the checks every year ahead of time. So I don't have to go waste 50 cents on the postage, everything sends you a bill. Give me 12 checks, 10 bucks a month for 12 times every year. That's it, $120. Fine or no? You know, the Satan showed up at the shul, so we, we have to welcome him. He's uh, give me technical problems. and. Uh... send <laughs> Let's see. Trying to reconnect due to poor wireless connection. In a a see? Got thrown off. Hold on a second. Yitzhak well, has to show up. So, Okhotan was a good story. So, you see? You like the story? Um, sideways, but uh, it's live. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. See what stand does? You want my uh, train of thought? So I have to rely on Hashem because if it was up to me, I'd ruin the whole lecture already. Uh, I think I'm sideways online, but um, what can we do? Maybe. okay here we go okay yeah Good, thank you okay so the guy like Shu says you want ten million dollars mr. ambitious no problem interest on 10 millions is 1.5 million you don't have that you don't have money for the interest you don't have money to pay back the loan. You don't have money to be used for collateral for the loan. But I'll give it to you anyway. Just give me 10 post-dated checks for 10 bucks a month. 12. 12 uh, post-dated checks for 10 bucks a month. Who's not going to take the loan? I'll tell him how many can I get? Can I get two? So he gives you the loan. First check after a month... He deposits in the bank, bounces. Maybe it's a mistake. Second check, second month, bounces. Don't go through. Is that not evil? Is that not wicked? Is that not thoughtful and selfish? The guy just gave you $10 million and all he asked for is 10 bucks a month. And you give him $10 that's fake. Even though it's not going to pay the loan ever, it's still, you are not even giving him that. Isn't that evil? Is that guy not a rasha? Unfortunately, we have a, not, we have a possibility, a possibility to be just like that guy. How is it like? We went to Hashem, we said, avinu pashanu. We made all these sins, we messed up, we did this, we did this, we did this. But we want to be in the book of the Tzadikim. But we want to be in a book with Noach. Noach, Ishtamim. Ish tamim. We want to be in the book of Tamimim. We want to be with Noach. You saved the whole world for Noach. I want to be in this book. Greatest person that lived in a generation. I want to be in the same book. I want Parnassah. Not just bonus. I don't want to just get by, Hashem, $30,000 a year like some uh, miskin teacher. I want, Hashem, $30,000 watch, brand new car every six months. I want the biggest house on the block. I want everyone to know who I am. I want honor. I want this. I want respect. Hashem, you know what I want. Do I have to say? What are you going to do back? What are you going to do in return? Shem asks you, during uh, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, something, what are you going to do in return? Hashem, I'm going to go to t- late tefillin every day. Late tfilin, something I'm obligated to do anyway. Hashem, I'm going to keep Shabbat. I'm not going to sleep the whole Shabbat, I'll study for 15 minutes. I'll sleep for most of the Shabbat. Hashem, I'm going to be nice to my wife. And what happens? We give him, he says, Hashem says, you know what? Fine, I'll give it to you. You want panasa? You want this? You want that? I'll give it to you. What are you going to give me back? Something you already obligated to give me anyway? Fine, I'll do it. No problem. Deal. You going to come to Mikneset do tefillin? Yes, 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 I'll come to Feeling. First week you miss Mikneset. First week you're not even you not like the guy in the story that waited a whole month before the check bounced. First week you miss Mikneset. First week you didn't do tefillin one day. First week you yelled at your wife. First week, you messed up on the minimal promise you made to Hashem for all the grand things that you asked for. First week. Funny story, but it's real. That's us. So now, Hashem says at some point, the patience runs out. Not because Hashem chas v'shalom, lacks patience or is, in, is controlled by patience or has such a thing, or nature as patience, but at some point he has to deliver his promise in the Torah, which is to be a righteous judge. At some point, everyone has to pay the bill. The generation of Noah became a corrupt people. So corrupt that their sins led the actual animals to become sinners. The animals became sinners, the animals became homosexual. The animals became, went with different species. The animals became sinners. What's, Yes, yes. It's uh, actually in uh, a study that was done in San Francisco. They say in San Francisco, is the highest level of animal homosexuality in the world. Animal homosexuality. And they're talking about actual animals. They're not talking about people that act like animals. The problem is that the people also act like animals, and they also are a very high level of homosexuality there. So this actually came true before it's coming true again. And Hashem says that this is a corrupt world. The world became completely corrupt, full of corruption. Meaning things went against their nature, things went against their creator. Nothing made sense anymore. And they lost their right to live. And this is only... 1,600 years after creation, this is only about 700 years after Adam Arishon, the person that spoke and was created by God directly, was alive on earth. And most of these people that sinned knew Adam Arishon. They weren't ignorant fools that uh, didn't know that God exists. They weren't idol worshippers that uh, bought a statue in uh, Chinatown for $15.00. And they started praying to it. They knew the truth. They knew. But they still went against it. Hashem decided that when someone knows the significance of the sin, when someone knows that there is a sin, when someone knows you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat, and he still drives on Shabbat, at that very moment... It's not just that their life is on the line. It's that they are losing their right to live. This is one of the sources for it. Because the Nephilim and all of the people that lived here, in this generation, knew the difference between right and wrong, and still chose wrong. As we mentioned last week, and maybe one other time before, there's only one person in the entire Torah, in 24 books, one person has a verse about Hashem says, I hate him. There's plenty of evil people. Plenty of evil people in every generation. As a matter of fact, one of the original evil people in history is born during this parasha. His name is Nimrod. Nimrod, the name comes from someone that's mored be Hashem. Mored be Hashem means he's an enemy of God. The name, the root of the name Nimrod is being an enemy of God. He's the original idol worshiper. He made himself into God. He told everybody to pray to him, and he became the enemy of Avraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu jumped into the into the fire, which we'll learn about next week. But Nimrod is bur- born in this parasha. In this parasha, he's born. Evil people. Shem says evil destroyed some of them let some of them live, punish some of them, but he never wrote that he hated anyone. Even the, the, the generation of the Mabul, he didn't say he hate them. He said they're the shame, but he didn't hate them. So one person the entire Torah, he says, I hate him. Him, I hate him. He names him by name. Who? Aisav. Yaakov, I loved, but Aisav, I hate him. Why I hate him? Why? Why I hate Esav? I had a chidush today, because we talked about this already. It said, because Esav knew the truth. He knew the truth. Why? His brother was Gdolado. He was the next big rabbi in the world, Yaakov. His father, bigger rabbi, Itzhak Avinu. His grandfather, the greatest rabbi that ever lived, Avraham Avinu. He knew. He knew the truth. Said yeah, tomorrow I'm gonna do tshuva. Tomorrow I'm gonna do tshuva. Tomorrow I'm gonna do Tomorrow I'm going to nets. Tomorrow I'm gonna do tefillin. Tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna eat kosher. Tomorrow I'm gonna do all these different things. And he didn't do it. So Hashem says him, I hate him. Why? Empty promises. So what was the chidush today? Why makes Hashem hate? I mean, there's plenty of people that say I'm gonna do it and don't do it. There's plenty why Hashem hates all of them. There's plenty of people that say I'm gonna. Everybody makes promises what they're gonna do on New Year's whether it's the secular New Year, or Rosh Hashanah New Year, whatever New Year you have, whatever excuse you have to make promises, we make promises all the time. Hashem hates all the people who break their promises. (laughs) Says in the Mishnah, whoever paid punishment to the generation of the flood and the generation of the Tower of Babel, meaning God, he will pay punishment to someone who doesn't stand by his word. So Hashem hates every single person that doesn't stand by his word? He's going to, just like he destroyed the generation of the Mabul, of Noach, just like he destroyed the same parasha, the generation of the Tower of Babel, he hates them also. He hates everybody who breaks promises, that's it. Why? Why does he hate somebody who breaks the promises so much? The answer was the chidush today. It connects to one of the things we learned just a couple of weeks ago. We said in the Gemara it talks about all different types of reshaim, all types of different types of tzaddikim, and the beauty of it is the more you learn about it, the more you realize how relevant it is to today, how relevant it is to yesterday, how relevant it is to every day. It doesn't change. Nothing changed. Nothing new under the sun. Just like Hashem says. Uh, Shlomo HaMelech says in the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, he says, nothing new under the sun. He mentions the sun, everything being under the sun many, many times throughout the book of Kohelet. He says, nothing new under the sun, nothing changed. His generation, previous generation, generation of Noah, generation of Adam, generation of Moshe Rabbeinu, generation, any generation, nothing new, nothing changed. Everything's the same. Just like Hashem hated the people of generation of Noah, just like he hated the people of the generation of the Tower of Babel, just 300 years later. Just like he hated Esav, another couple hundred years later. Just like all the other that he hated them. Why? Why does he hate all of them? Because of this Gemara. Gemara Masechet Shabbat 119 says a person that does something wrong, but doesn't see anything wrong. Esham hates him. Why? He sees wrong in everyone else, except himself. Everyone else is wrong. Oh, he's a Rasha, he does this. He's a Rasha, he does this. He a Rasha does this. You tell him, yeah, but uh, you know, by the way, you're not allowed to uh, do, 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 do... Hey, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know what I do? You know what I do? You know what I do? You know how much money I donate? You know how much I study Torah? You know, you worry about yourself. He just told me. I, I, I am worried about myself. But I'm just letting you know. that uh, Don't let me know nothing. I know. I'm okay. It's Him? I hate him. Why? He sees nothing wrong with what he's doing. He's making constant promises. Breaks them and doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. Honey, honey, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Shows up 3 hours later. Killed her day. Killed his day. Okay, you ready? What do you mean ready? You said I'm going to be in 20 minutes. You showed up three hours later. You killed my life. You killed my day. What do you mean, are you ready? Oh, What's the big deal? Why are you so uptight? What do you mean? You made a promise. You had a word. The check bounced. The check bounced. You sent me a check. It bounced. It was for $10. It was for $10. I lent you $10 million. The check bounced. You will have no word. You, I hate why? Because not only did you do something wrong, you don't see anything wrong with it. You're never going to do tshuva. As long as you don't see anything wrong with it, you're never going to do tshuva. You, in essence, are signing up to be in the team of I am going to be an enemy of Hashem forever. There's no hope for you. Brother was Gdolado, father was Gdolado. Grandfather, eh, he couldn't get better family, better pedigree. Still a shop. There's no hope for somebody like that. There's no hope. Why? Because he doesn't see anything wrong. He makes a promise to go to Biknesa. Tomorrow and doesn't show up. Eh, okay, I'll show up the next day. Hashem will wait for me. I do things in my own pace. I do things in my own pace. Take it easy. You worry about you. You worry about you. Don't worry about me. Yeah, the problem is you are affecting me. Why? You sin, I get punished too. One more day the Mashiach is not here. One more day there's a terrorist attack. One more day there's an intermarriage. One more day there's a disaster in Am Yisrael. Why? It's because of you. Violating Shabbat, violating Premal violating all these things. What do you think? It's because of all the tzaddikim. You think the Mabul happened because of tzaddikim? No, it happened because of the reshaim, but not just regular reshaim. Reshaim that didn't want to do tshuva. That's the problem. That's the problem. Go ahead. I heard that
1: a sub, he killed me more. He got into a fight. Mm-hmm. Then he stole the coat. Okay. Let the war that coat never died. But I, I still could not understand it. Like he, if the sub would never take that coat off, he would have never died.
0: No. The coat, first of all, is the coat of Adam Arishon. It's the clothing that Hashem Itbarach gave to Adam Arishon as a consolation gift for throwing him out of the Gan Eden, which actually the question is why did he throw him out of Gan Eden? Hashem told him, "You sinned. I told you don't eat from the tree of knowledge, and you ate." And then he says to the angels, we have to throw him out before he eats from the tree of life. But he didn't say he don't eat from the tree of life. He never said it. If you look at the psukim, if you read, uh, if you read last week's parasha, which uh, is difficult because you have the chag, you have uh, the last parasha, and then you have bereshit. A lot of people miss the big points of parashat bereshit. There's huge, huge parashat bereshit. Chazal, by the way, should you know, Chazal used to read Parashat Bereshit all year round. Why? There's so many chidushim, Parashat Bereshit, they read it all year. You know, in the old generations, they used to finish the book, the five books of Moses, not every year like we do. They used to finish it every three years. Every three years. But Chazal, the ones that were melamdim, the ones that would teach, would actually go over Bereshit all year. Other the Parashat also, but Bereshit specifically, all year. So many chidushim bereshit. So, first we see that Hashem Barach says to Adam Arishon, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Eat from the tree of knowledge. Regardless of what the reason is, the wife's fault, the snake's fault, the tree's fault, whoever's fault it is, check was sent, $10, didn't clear. doesn't make a difference who wrote the check. It didn't clear. It says, okay, you violated. I'm throwing you out. Why? So you don't eat from the tree of life. But you didn't say don't eat from the tree of life. If you said "If you said, don't eat from the tree of life, you should have said it in the beginning. So what happened? So Chidush is this. If you notice, in the beginning of the parasha, it talks about how Hashem barakh Made these trees, and it says in in chapter two, verse nine. Says, "B'itzmach Adonai Elohim ina Adamah kol etz nechmad lemar'e ve'tov lemaachal ve'etzachayim betoch agan ve'etzadat tovara." So it says a very interesting verse, and Hashem caused to sprout from the ground every tree. So he created all the trees. Every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food. Originally the trees, by the way, were supposed to be food themselves. Its plea was supposed to be a plea. So this you actually see in the um, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. It's pri or se A tree that uh, uh, makes seed but is itself, uh, a tree that makes fruit, but is himself a fruit. The tree itself was supposed to be a fruit. Instead of a tree that you make houses out of, you're supposed to be able to eat the tree. That was Gan Eden. So, here it says, later on, it says that Hashem made all these trees that were nice to look at. And then it says, and also the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, meaning in the middle of the garden, Betocha garden. And the tree of knowledge, good and bad. It doesn't say where the tree of knowledge was. It just says that the tree of life was in the middle of the garden, somewhere in the garden. But the tree of knowledge doesn't say where it was. Now we know that Adam and Chava knew where the tree of knowledge was. How do we know? They ate from it. So it doesn't matter if it says where it is. What's the interesting part here? Is that it actually says where the tree of life is. It's in the middle of the of the garden. So if Adam HaRishon was so smart, was the perfect human being, so perfect, so big, so beautiful, so, I mean, it says that everything else looks like a monkey next to Sarai Menu. The most beautiful person on earth looks like a monkey next to Sarai Menu. And Sarai Menu looks like a monkey next to Chava. Next to Eve. And Eve looked like a monkey next to Adam Arishon. Something extraordinary. So big, so beautiful, the malachim, the angels, wanted to bow to him. They thought he was God in human form. And that's when Hashem put him to sleep. To show him that he's not God because Hashem doesn't go to sleep. That's in Taibim you read in prayer. So, Hashem doesn't go to sleep. Doesn't take breaks. No vacation. No Tahiti. So now, if Adam Rishon was so smart, why don't he just go and do exactly what you said? Go to the tree of life, guarantee the latter win. You're going to live forever, so then you could eat the tree of knowledge until whenever you want. He can't kill you. You ate from the tree of life. Can't violate his own law. What's the chidus? Huh? Doesn't matter. Go intentionally. Be like Isab, Who cares? Go eat. If you already have a key, he says... Tree of life, no, he was pretty me doesn't, doesn't smart. he was a genius. He didn't say not allowed to eat from the tree of life, he said, Don't eat from a tree of knowledge. Tree of life didn't say nothing about it exactly. So, so smart. How come he didn't go eat from a tree of life? Why this pasuk that you missed from last week, you were sleeping last week to from all the food we ate during the holidays. This pasuk gave you the answer. What's the answer? It's Chaim betuchagan. The Itza Chaim, the Tree of Life, is inside the garden. Where inside the garden? We don't know. How can we find out? It's a big garden. How can we find out? You have to eat from the Tree of Life. Tree of Knowledge. But why do you eat from the Tree of Knowledge? Why? So I can find out where the Tree of Life is because I'm allowed to eat the Tree of Life. Why? Because I want to honor and sanctify Hashem's name forever. So in order for me to live forever... I have to eat from the tree of lo- of knowledge. Why? To find out where the tree of life is, so I can live forever. So he used his own igayon. The yeah. problem with Adam Arishon is that he used his own logic. As genius as his plan was, yeah. is wrong. Yeah. Yes. Right, but what day? He didn't die after a day. He lived 930 years. He did die the same day. Uh, lived 930 years. Yeah, but, but uh, it,
1: it, it, if you already know that
0: you're going to die, so you would have known? Logic. Logic uh, yet's, that's, to, that's the thing. Uh, so here's the thing. So Hashem, it says also in Taylim Hashem, a, a, year, a year for you is like a thousand years for us. A year for you is like a thousand years for us. So even though, what happened? So Adam HaRishon lived, died the same day. What's the same day? A day for Hashem, a thousand years. A thousand years, minus 70. Why minus 70? The Sfarim HaKadoshim say that Adam HaRishon knew after he made a sin. After he started doing tshuva, he left his wife, he did everything. He said, Hashem, I'm still fasting, nothing's happening. How can I fix it? How can I fix my sin? He says, Mashiach has to come. Okay, show me Mashiach. We get the, 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 the David Amelech. Oh, great. He dies. What do you mean he dies? No, he was a baby. In the stomach. Look cute. Knew the whole Torah. Born, dead. Still life baby. Why? No schuyot. He has no years. No, so how am I going to fix my sin? You have to use your mind. Use your mind to make a sin. Okay, give him seven years of my life. Give him seven years of my life. So he lives a full life in his age. Seven years more than enough. He doesn't need to live 930 years. Give him seven years of my life. So what is it? A day for Hashem, a thousand years minus seventy. He gave him seven years of his life. So now nine hundred thirty. But now, that's how he got the nine thirty. That's how he lived nine hundred thirty years. But now, the thing is though, is that he ate from the a Adat to go eat from the its of Life, the uh, the Tree of Life. And that's why, as soon as he ate from the Tree of Knowledge. The first thing that happened after Hashem told them, you sinned and so on, you get punished. What? He says to the angels, I have, we have to throw them out of the garden before they eat from the tree of life. Why? Because I never told them it's not allowed. Technically, it's still allowed right now for them to eat from the tree of life, meaning to override my own decree. They can override it. There's a rule in the world. Hashem is still a the rule. There's a rule in the world. There's a tree of life. You can live forever. So now that he has the, the knowledge, he knows where the tree is. Now he can go find it. Now he can go eat from it. We we'll throw him out of the garden. That's why he threw him out of the garden. What about the coat? So now he had a coat. He had a coat. Eventually, the coat changed from generation to generation. It went to al-Shah. Eventually, Esav killed him and took the coat. And eventually, Yaakov took the coat from Esav. And his, uh, and Yaakov gave the coat to Yosef the like, No, it's just a coat that God made. Doesn't make you never die. I don't know where you got.
1: Uh,
0: I'm not familiar with that midrash, but uh, I'm not familiar with that midrash. But I know that uh, the coat is definitely uh, doesn't make sense with the rest of what the Torah says because if the coat would have given him an eternal life then adam arishon didn't have to worry about the tree of life,
1: yeah.
0: life. why I take it off he has it if he, if he had it long enough to give it to nimrod or to get stolen by nimrod that means he had it, it, it why did he make him take it off it could be for a different reason not to ruin it, it uh, again i'd say maybe power but i don't think it's about eternal life whatever there's many midrashim i haven't read all of them Baruch Hashem but as i get to that I haven't gone to that yet. So now, if Adam Rishon sinned, but Chavah didn't sin, what would happen? gufo. <laughs> Rabbi Yonatan Ibishit says the biggest sinat chinam that he still saw in his generation is when one Jew sees another Jew sin and do nothing. That's sinat chinam. Worry about Ashkenazi Sephardi, Yemenite, Litvish, this minag, that minag, that's not Sinat Chinam. Worrying about this one or that one, that's not Sinat Chinam. What's, what's true Sinat Chinam? True Sinat Chinam is seeing our brothers and sisters sin and doing nothing about it. Now we made plenty of promises to Hashem barach Plenty of promises. During the holidays, and Hashem says, if... You're going to make those promises. You're going to give me those 12 checks for $10. And they bounce. You risk becoming hated. You risk being like Aesav. Why? Because Aesav also made many promises. Aesav also made promises. Now for all of those that don't understand yet, let's go into this Mishnah and understand a little further. Zal so Hashem will connect to the Mishnah. So Rabbi Ochanan Asandlaal Omer, this is Dallet Yudallet four fourteen. Rabbi Ochanan Asandlaal Omer, all Knessia shei le Hashem shamayim sofal li itkayem veSheinal le Hashem shamayim en sofal li itkayem. Rabbi Ochanan Asandlaal, Rabbi Ochanan the shoemaker, said every assembly that is dedicated for the sake of heaven will have an enduring effect. But one that is not for the sake of heaven will not have an enduring effect. So the first thing that we do in all the other Mishnayot that we read, as the way of our teachers are, before we read the Mishnah, we have to see who's talking. Why should we listen to him? So Rabbi Yochanan, Asandlal, is an unusual name. Rabbi Yochanan, the shoemaker. Why isn't it just Rabbi Yochanan? Why isn't it just Yochanan the shoemaker? So here, we learn a lot from this name. There are several times in the Gemara and in the Mishnayot that you see that the sage is called Rabbi so and so, and then they name his profession, because first of all, that's how he made his living. He made his living by being a sandlar, by being a shoemaker. But why the significance? What so? What? Why do they have to mention it? Why do I have to mention that he was a shoemaker or anything else that they do in a... In a uh, it's to remind us, to give us Musa, just even before you start the Mishnah, already learned you have no excuse. Why? First he was a rabbi. Then he went into the business world. So you see even from his name, he's not called Yochanan Asandlal, the rabbi. Or the Sandlar, Yohanan, the rabbi. First says, first says Rabbi. First is Rabbi. First you need to make sure you connect to Torah. Learn Torah. Learn the basics. Yeah. He's one of the uh, students of Rabbi Akiva. One of the students of Rabbi Akiva. And it says that first you learn Torah. First you understand the foundation of all your dealings. foundation of everything that you do has to be based on Torah. Then, whatever your business is, you want to be oil, stocks, jewelry, shoes, whatever you're going to do, first Torah, then your profession. So anyone that says, no, no, listen, I can't really learn, I got to work, I got a business, I got a building, I got buildings, I got this to do, I got this to do, I got that to do, Nonsense. You know, one of the most important lessons that Rabbi Israel Misalant, the Baal Musal, uh, one of the uh, Baal Musa movement, just a couple hundred years ago, one of the most important lessons that he learned that influenced him for his whole life was actually learned from a sandal, was learned from a shoemaker. One day, it's the middle of the night, 1.30 in the morning, He's coming back. He's on the way back to the house after giving all the lectures. Twenty six years of his life, his last twenty six years, he went from town to town to do kibbutz. He could have stayed in his yeshiva, in his bet mussav, kodesh, could write books, give speeches, get honor, get money. What else do you need? What did he do? He went from town to town, help people do tshuva. Why? He says, how could I live one minute? When my father in heaven is crying. Because his children are going against him. They're making themselves enemies every day. Without even knowing they're enemies of God. They're making themselves enemies of God. How could I live? So he went from town to town. One day he's coming back. He sees there's a light in one of the houses in this town. On. Still at 1.30 in the morning. Goes, oh wow. It's probably the rabbi of the city lives here. Probably Tamit Chacham. Let me go in. if it's if the light's on. Not like today you leave your lights on regardless. Like my house is like Broadway. My house lights on 24 hours a day. You never know from home, not home, it's always on. It's always Shabbat. So not then. Back then you had a candle. Candle runs out, it's finished. If the light's on, that means you're up. You don't just waste candles. Everybody's poor back then. A poor person today is rich back then. So he sees the light on. And he goes in and he sees a shoemaker working on shoes at 1.30 in the morning. He goes, hey, don't you have a family? You have stuff to do. What are you doing? Go home. He goes, no. I have one candle. And as long as the light's still on, there's still time to fix. So Rabbi Yisrael Salant took this to heart. He says, the light, he was learning Musar from everything. The light in the Torah is our soul. And he tells himself, and he runs to all of his students, and he tells them, I learned the most important musar in my life from the shoemaker. As long as the light is still on, as long as you're still alive, there's still time to fix. There's still time to do tshuva. There's still something that you need to work on. If you were perfect like you think you are, you wouldn't be in this world. If you were half as good as you think you are. Half as good. You wouldn't be in this world. Hashem will take you. You're so good. What are you doing here? The angels are jealous of you. They're like, hey, this guy's better than us. There's no Yetzarah. He killed it already. He killed the Yetzarah. Yetzarah cries when he sees him. It's like, guy. I look, this is my love. I miss him. This guy is thinking so good, Yitzhak doesn't even go to his house anymore. If you are half as good as you think you are, Rabbi Yitzhak says, if the light's still on, that means you still have a lot of work to do. Still have to work on your midot, still have to work on your traits, your character traits, your anger, your stinginess, your uh, whatever, whatever bad midot you have, whatever tikkun you have. Different people have different tikkunim. Some people, unfortunately, have a tikkun that's not understandable to another person that doesn't have a tikkun like that. So, for example, some people, their nature is to be very mellow, very calm. World War Seven can start, like, oh, wow. Besat Hashem, it's going to be okay. It's not because they're such perfect human beings. It's just their nature. Hashem created them that way. They could be burning inside. But just their nature is very, like, low and mild and, like, you know, it's like the tea that's like, stays warm for, like, an extra hour for no reason whatsoever. It's just strange. But they're just like that. They're just like that. The rest of the people are, like, the smoke coming out of their ears. You go, Oh, wow. <laughs> Shucks. You know, like, it's a... Uh, wow. That's the one. Oh, well, tomorrow will be a better day. That's not because they're really calm inside; they can be burning, but that's their nature. So, to a guy that's an angry guy, that's like mamas like a hot pepper. This guy is like this guy is like the kryptonite. Just seeing him makes him angry. Seeing a guy like that makes him angry. He is angry that the elevator didn't get there in time. He's angry the elevator took an extra thirty seconds. He sees this guy all calm and collected when the whole world is collapsing. He makes, drives him crazy. He doesn't understand how his midah, how his character trait could be so different from him. Another example would be stinginess. Some people have such a desire for money, such a love for money. The Gemara says anyone that loves money will never have enough money. Guaranteed. Why? What if you give them? They want double. You Give them 100, they want 200. Give them 200, they want 400. Meaning, if you want more money, you love money, unfortunately. How much you love it uh, we'll see in Shamayim. Hashem knows. But if you are looking for money, I'm not talking about ambition. How do you know if you love money or you're ambitious? There's a difference. Being ambitious is a normal, positive character trait. You need to be ambitious in everything you do if you're going to succeed in life. If you want to succeed in business, you can't just be one of these lethargic people that shows up to the office half asleep and waits for customers to come in. Oh, it's a sales business? Oh, and they're not supposed to call me? No, you're supposed to call them. Oh, why wouldn't they just call me? Because they don't know you exist. But I'm such a nice guy. And you look at the guy and something's wrong with him. But in his mind, nothing's wrong. He's scared there's some people like this in the world. You have to be ambitious. You want to succeed in business? You have to make phone calls. You have to chase it. That's a healthy thing to do. You want to be Tamit chacham? You have to make sure you already know you're going to have to make sacrifices. At the end of the Pirkei Avot, it talks about different character traits. Different sacrifices you're going to have to make. Over 40 different things you're going to have to do in order to become a Talmit Chacham. Not to learn Torah. Talmit Chacham is different. Learn Torah. Anybody can learn Torah. Learn five minutes here, five minutes there, ten minutes here, ten minutes there. You can teach a monkey five minutes here, five minutes there. What he's going to retain is a different story. Talmid chacham. chacham is something different. Successful businessmen, there's plenty in the world. Talmit Chachamim, very few. Very few. That's something special. It says in the Mishnah, the sixth chapter of Mishnah, of Avot, uh, talks about what you're going to need to do in order to become a Tamit Chacham. It even says that you have to have less sex. Already, 95% of the people are like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be a Tamit Chacham. <laughs> less involvement with business. Okay, that's the other 4.5%. You have a half a percent possibilities. Less eating. Yeah, there goes the other five. Less sleep. All types of things. So anyway, you want to be Tamit Chacham, you have to make certain sacrifice. You have to be ambitious. You have to chase Torah. You have to, mamash, fight for the Torah. You don't have time. You're busy. You have Balagan. You have craziness. You have to fight for the five minutes. Fight for ten minutes. Fight for two hours. Fight for time. Fight to learn Torah. Fight. Satan shows up. Okay, wait one second. Satan, let me finish this. Mishnah. No, no, but I'm here to interrupt and rip your paint of the Mishnah. Exactly what? Rip it after I finish this Mishnah. <laughs> Mama, you have to fight. Fight for every Pasuk. You don't want to be but you have to be ambitious. That's healthy. That's necessary. But when you love something, like money, that's not ambition. How do you know the difference between ambition and love of money? It all depends on how hard it is for you to give it away. If you're ambitious for money, then giving money away for something that's a good cause doesn't affect you one bit. In fact, it makes you even more ambitious because you want to do more so you can give more. Not one of those people that says, I'm going to give more once I have more. But for now, I'm not going to give anything. For now, I make $10,000 a month, I'm going to give $5. But when I make a million, I'm going to give 500000 Why? Why can't it be the same percentage now? No, now I have to get the car, and the house, and a this, and the that. And that's a faker. Everybody says they're going to give more when they have more, and they never do. Why? Because that's just life. Yet grows with the bank account. So if you love money it's going to be very, very hard for you to give it away. Very hard for you to give it away. If you're ambitious, giving it away will make, it, will make you even more ambitious. So I'll give you an example of the two. One guy says all the time to me, all the time, he has this, he has this investment, and that investment, and this business, and that business, and very, very successful. I don't know how successful, but according to him... He's extremely successful. And not only that, not only is he successful, but he's also a very, very big fan of Kiruv. Why? He knows that Kiruv is very necessary. That's how he did tshuva in his town. He tries to help other people do chuva. And great. Now you would think somebody that's extremely successful, according to his estimates or whatever, it's things that he says, millionaire, multi-millionaire you would think that at the very least he would donate, I don't know, thousand dollars 20000 a month. I mean, if you're making, I don't know, half a million, a million dollars a year, giving maaser, giving 10%, you're obligated to do anyway. So your maaser of 500000 should be 50000 So that's $4,000 a month. Your maaser, I'm, I'm not saying you're a tzaddik, you're a bishimu chai, you give 20%. Maaser, 10%, $500,000 a year, 50000 Maaseh of a million dollars a year, hundred thousand. I don't know. So good? So far, so good. Staka? Not even one percent. Not even one percent. Not even one percent. No, but I love Kiruv. I love this. yeah. I, oh, I, uh, what happened? No, I'm fully invested, and I'm fully this, and I'm fully that. That's, that's somebody that's full of it. Not fully invested, it's full of it. Why? He loves money. Much more than he loves Qiv. On the other hand, is another guy. We have an Avrech program. We have an Avrech program. You see it on our website now. Try to see if we can get more people involved in this Avrech program. There's different Avrechim in Yerushalayim, but not just a regular guy. Each one of them is either a Dayan or on the way to being a Dayan. Like meaning he's in the... Last chapters of becoming a dayan. We're only top level avrechim. not uh, just an average guy. Not that there's has anything wrong with them. Just we're going for best of breed. We don't have that many, but we try to boch send uh, money there every single week, every single month, as much as possible. But we're not sending this fake avrech program that some people talk about, where they think that they get half of their mitzvot or all of their mitzvot for like five hundred bucks a month. No one can survive in the world outside of a third world country for five hundred dollars a month. No one. You cannot survive for five hundred dollars a month with a wife and five, six, seven kids. You can't. It's just not in Israel, not in America, not in Europe. Nowhere I don't know, maybe in some I don't know, in like uh, Bangladesh or something. I don't know, in some I don't know, in some third world country maybe, but not in the real world. So Our Avrech program is almost like a salary. $2,600 a month is what it costs for them to live, which is still a decent, uh, it's a very modest life, considering six, seven kids, you know, eight-member family, talking about 10,000 shekels, it's nothing. So we're thinking that's an estimate, $650 approximately per week. Um, And that's what uh, we try to sponsor each Avrech you want a week worth of his learning, $650. You want a month, $2,600. But the tikkun that these Avachim go through is very difficult. Why? They get $500 a month from the kolel. So they start already the month, 2000 And we're not talking about people that are living with fancy cars, fancy watches, fancy anything. We're talking about people that are living a life that most of you, including myself, would not be willing to live. And they have tests of emunah on a daily basis. They can go get careers, they can go make money in a million and a half other things, but all they want to do, they learn Torah, for the shud of Am Yisrael, to sanctify Hashem's name, and so on and so forth. It's a very difficult life. So anyway, to make a long story short, uh, there's one guy that uh, loves Avrichim. Doesn't have much money though. That's usually what happens. The people that love Torah don't have much money. The people that say they love Torah have a lot of money, but don't give anything. So one guy loves Avrichim. So I go to him. I say, listen, I heard a story today. Mamash Chaval is one Avrech, is Mamash in a spiritual pikuach Nefesh situation. What? He's in so much debt, about 50,000 shekels, which is like 12000 $13,000. Not that much, but in his world it is. That the bank is not allowing him to use the card anymore. The store is not giving him food anymore. His mamas has nothing. Nothing. Wife, kids, everything. Nothing he has. And he says, listen, I have to leave the kolel. I have to get a job. He can get a job, be a programmer tomorrow. He's actually very skilled in computers and different things. He actually helped us a few times. Uh made the first opening for our uh, shulim." And um, so I'm going to have to leave the Kolel. I'm going to go get a job and, you know, have job offers. But now, anyone that understands Torah, understands here we le- we could be potentially losing a genius mind that's willing to sacrifice everything, willing to sacrifice $100,000 a year job. You can get $100,000 a year job tomorrow. He doesn't want $100,000. He just wants to survive. For what? There's no money. It's a very big test. Especially when you have kids. He goes, for me, give me a piece of bread a week. I don't care, but I have kids. So I go to this guy, and I tell him, listen, there's this guy, pikuach nefesh situation, spiritual pikuach nefesh. And he says, okay, I'll send him $2,000. $2,000 is like all the money in the world. I'm like, oh, you made a big deal? He goes, no. I have $3,000 in the bank. And I have a bunch of things coming up. I have a bunch of bills coming up. I have bills for this, bills for this, a bills for this, expensive for this, expensive for this, expensive for this. But it's not here yet. It's not now. It's another time, a week from now, a year from now, a month from now. It's not now. But now, as of now, I have three thousand. I don't need the three thousand. I don't need three thousand. Right now I don't need it. He needs it. Give it to him, just like Hashem gave me the money when I need it, before I needed it, I'll give it to me when I need it. Just like he gave it to me before I need it, I'll give it to me when I need it. That's someone who loves Torah, doesn't love money. You understand? So, and time after time, he sees miracles that Hashem gives him when he needs it. But that's the thing. The problem is, if we had the opposite, if we had the people that actually have 20,000, 200,000, 2 million, 5 million, act like this guy, we'd have uh, a million, 2 million avrechim in the world.
1: Yeah.
0: Because, yes, I mean, you, you don't just get to be an avrech that collects a zillion mitzvot every second you live, just like that. You have to have merit. You have to have tests. Avraham Avinu did not become Avraham Avinu just like that. He had to jump into a fire. He had to go to war. Had to go to another war. Had to put his son, uh, you know, in a, uh, and slaughter his son almost. I to do a lot of things. You don't just become Moshe Rabenu just because your name is Moshe. You have to go through tests. So that's that's one of the things we see here in this Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan Asandlal. First he's telling you, you want to be anything, first be a bentoah. First be a rabbi. First be a bentoah. First understand, Torah comes before your profession. You want to be ambitious? No problem. But the ambition has to be a healthy ambition, not a love for money. Not a love for money. so is
1: uh also like I've found I mean he found time to have his profession right so what would be so bad is this up raid do a couple of hours a day and do some programming
0: and aggressive time learn it's not necessarily that it's bad we're not saying it's bad we're saying we're saying that it's it depends different people different things if someone is average they should do exactly what you're saying if someone's an average learner, a uh, in this world it's also very different than in the times of Rabbi Yochanan Sandlaw. Why? In the time of Rabbi Yochanan Sandlaw didn't need to commit their entire self to Torah in order to become a Talmud Chacham. They could commit a quarter of the time that we do and become giants of giants. They had it was different levels of people. Today, in order for you, someone to become, to even have a chance to become a Ben Torah, to, that's true Ben Torah, that really is a Talmud Chacham, or at least a chance of being a Talmud Chacham, it has to be full-time. has to be. They have to have a lot of good Midot, and a lot of other things. But in order for them, why? Because we're so far away from home, that for someone to be an extraordinary businessman, and a Talmud Chacham, is almost, almost unfounded in this generation. They're, they exist, obviously, but it's almost unfounded. So, there's nothing wrong with working... And learning. Nothing wrong with it. You should work. Like you said, uh, Torah and uh, Eretz, the way of the world, you should do both. But for the most part, if you have an exceptional talent of learning, or an exceptional talent of making money, you should do that. Whichever one it is. If you have the ability to make millions of dollars, and you're just a... You're not as good of a learner as you are. A money maker. go make money, give money to Torah learners. And learn on the side. Why? That's your goal. That's that's your purpose in the world. You go make money. But if you're a guy, you still have to learn, obviously. But if you're a guy that has a brain that's from a different generation, you don't belong on Wall Street. You don't belong on uh, in some place. You belong in the Kolel. If you're going to be the next Dayan... In Amisled, you have to be a dayan. You don't have to go make programs, making uh, computer programs. You have to be a dayan. So again, it depends. The people that we're dealing with here, these people are exceptional people. These are exceptional people. Oh, these are exceptional people that mamash are special, and he can't get a job. He can't get a lot of money. But the types of jobs that he gets don't is not two hours, three hours, not enough. They want everything. Because they want all of them, and they want to pay for it. But he's not to care about everything. He cares about just Torah. So again, Hashem is going to find a way. He always does. He always has. He always will. The point is, is that he's going to continue having to go through tests, just like Rabbi Freim goes through tests, just like I go through tests, just like Rabbi Vadya went through tests, million of just like any single person that goes through the Torah world has to go through tests. Same way that a guy that's in the business world has to go through tests. Different tests for different people. One of the reasons why Hashem makes many avreichim poor is because He gives the rest of us the opportunity to get mitzvot. We're not going to learn as much as them, but we can get as much as much merit as they do. Why? By giving the money. So a person that has money and doesn't give it is the biggest fool in the world. If he knows that, obviously this is you know Torah is valuable. If he doesn't know, then he's just then we have a different problem with him. But anyway, Obiokhanas so, andlav. Continues to answer our question here, and he says, Kol she, 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 the Shem Every assembly that is dedicated for the sake of heaven will have an enduring effect. If there's a meeting, if there's an event, if there is a some type of uh, Knesia, some type of a uh, assembly, and its purpose is to sanctify Hashem's name, It'll have an enduring effect. Meaning, Hashem will help. If there's if your unity, your avat khinam that people always try to talk about, oh, let's love each other for no reason. Just like the sinat khinam to avat Sounds really easy. In reality, it's almost impossible for a generation that's so focused on sinat khinam for them to even know what the definition of avat khinam is almost impossible. But the point being is that if this unity, this organizations, uh, is, there's a lot of different organizations now, Jewish organizations in the world today, whether it's about Zionism, or about different things about Israel, or even religious organizations, or what they call themselves religious organizations, if the purpose of the organization is for Kiddush Hashem, Hashem will help. This organization become eternal. Just like His Torah just like is Nevi'im, just like he himself. You'll get siat di Why? You have the right mind. You have the right goal. But if not, if not, it won't have an enduring effect. It will not have this lasting effect. So why doesn't it say that it won't have an effect at all? Why doesn't it say that if it doesn't have, if it's not for the sake of heaven, then it should fail. It doesn't say that. It says, if it's not for the sake of heaven, the effect is not going to be enduring. Meaning, it's not going to last forever. It's eventually going to fail. It's eventually going to die. But it doesn't say that it's going to fail right away. It's eventually going to fail. Where is the answer? Also this week's parasha. This week's parasha, towards the end, after Noah... Saves himself and the family. Hashem gives him rules. He tells him the seven laws of Noah, six of them you already gave Adam Arishon. Then we have 300 years approximately later, the generation of the Tower of Babel. They knew one of Noach's children, knew Shem. So they knew someone that lived during the flood. It's not like it was like uh, something that happened 3,000 years ago. They knew. The guy was there. But they said, you know what? Maybe it was like a coincidence. Maybe Hashem destroys the world every 1,600 years. So why don't we build ourselves monetarily, become really rich, so we can build a big building, and in that big building, we're going to fight God. It says, "Let us build a city." and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. This doesn't sound like evil people that are like Nimrod, made themselves into idols. This doesn't sound like Parol that just wants to kill everyone that doesn't say he's God. This actually sounds like a bunch of Wall Street executives. It says, let's build a tower, let's make a name for ourselves. Todd it says. Hashem said, they actually were united. Because they were united, they had a common goal. I think the fly from Rebbe Mizrahi's lecture just finished this year. He came here. He came here from New York. It's pretty fast. So, he says... Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's try using our own brain, our own bank accounts to fight God. This happens every day. Most of these organizations, so-called organizations, fight God every single day. They call themselves Jewish organizations but unfortunately they're nothing remotely close to Jewish. You see pictures of some of their events. You can't look at it for more than five seconds if you want to Watch your eyes. No woman is wearing clothes. No man is even remotely close to what a tamit hacham is or even knows what it is. And sometimes they call themselves rabbis, some of these people. It's mamash. It's, they call themselves Jewish organizations, but they're not so Jewish. There's not much Judaism about it. It's a business. It's money. But Hashem still gives such organizations success. Why? They have unity. They have unity. They said, let's build a tower. For what? Let's build ourselves a name. Let's make some money. Let's get some reputation. Let's get a million followers on Facebook. Let's get people to sign some petition. Let's make a commercial. Let's do that. Hashem will give them success. Why? Because they have unity. Unity has so much power. In Hashem's view, He will give it temporary success. But that's the key word. It's temporary. He says if it's not eventually going to be for the purpose of sanctifying my name, sanctifying my Torah, if it's going to stay, if it's going to stay for the purpose of just making yourself a name, eventually I'm going to take it away. And punish you for doing everything. You can start a mitzvah unintentionally. You could do something where you don't really want to do what Hashem says. You're really going into business for the purpose of making money. You want to sell tefillin because you want to make money, not because you want to help people do do, uh, tshuva. Hashem will let you succeed. But if it stays that way and you start cheating a little bit, Hashem will break it. Why? It started the wrong way, it stayed the wrong way, I have to take it away. It starts the wrong way, but... You go back and you start doing by yourself, then we have something. Then a little last. So, the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. We see that Shemit Yedbarach has a line. Has a line. Has a line that we can't cross. There's a, a time. We run out. It's generation of Noah, generation of Tower of Babel, he let them build it, build it, build it, build it. And he says, okay, eventually I give you enough time. You're not doing tshuva. I'm going to have to destroy it. But before I destroy it, I have to destroy your unity. So then you don't have any more merits. So he made them all speak different languages. Once they spoke different languages, they couldn't communicate anymore. Once they couldn't communicate, they weren't on the same page anymore. There's no more unification anymore. Meaning that from here we learn that in order for you to have true unity, God must must help you. In order for you to have unity in your marriage, God must help you. In order for you to have unity in your success in life, and anything, God must help you. Must help you. If you don't have shma'ya, you won't succeed in life. So to finalize everything, we'll finalize with these points. We see that Hashem barach gave every single generation, whether they're wicked or righteous, a type time- <coughs> Time frame. He gave Adam HaRishon a time frame to do Tshuva. He gave Noah a time frame to do Tshuva himself and to help other people do Tshuva. He gave the generation of the Tower of Babel time to do Tshuva. He gave generation after time to do Tshuva. Even Og, Melech Abashan. He gave him the most amount of time to do tshuva. Og was originally alive at the time of the Nephilim. <clears throat> Og was alive before the flood. Meaning, that even though it says... Thank you, Scammy's book. Even though it says... that the only human survivors were Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, the Midrash, the Midrash Rabbah, Midrash Meham Loez, the Zohar Kadosh, and I believe also the Gemara, a few other places that I don't remember or I haven't read, um, said that there were other survivors. They're not mentioned in the Pasuk. One of them is Og. Og was one of the survivors. Another survivor was the Re'em. The animal, the Re'em. The Re'em was a giant animal that looked like a bull and a mix between a bull and a deer, but was the size of a dinosaur. Okay. Is that the? Is that the? Re'em, it's called in the Torah. I don't know what it is, but Re'em. It's a huge, huge animal. It was bigger than the dinosaurs they have in movies. When it was fully grown, it was bigger than them. And uh, Noah tied him to the boat. Tied him to the boat and made a hole in the boat for him to breathe. And Og was on top of the boat. was On top of the ark. So they could survive. No. It
1: was
0: huge. It was huge. but So was the boat. So was the ark. But also, one of the other things that I learned is that unlike what I thought most of my life, and I'm sure most people still think now, or at least maybe I'm the only fool. I'm not sure. Could be. Could be you're the only fool in the room. It's possible. The mabul wasn't worldwide. Most people, myself included, believe that the Mabul, the flood, was, Mamash flooded the entire world. Everywhere. Every country, every sea, every ocean, every river, every land, every island, every everything. That's natural. If you look at the Abarbanel, if you look at the, um, uh, some of the things that the, uh, I believe it was the, give me Duvna, A few places. Um, A few places. It actually talks about why didn't Hashem make a different miracle? Instead of making Noah build his big boat, why didn't he just take him to one of the islands that didn't have a flood? Meaning, there are certain places in the world that didn't have a flood. What's one of our sources? That's easy. As soon as the flood is over, after a little while passes, Noah sends the uh, dove to go see if there's anything, and she comes back with a uh, olive uh, leaf. Where did that come from if everything was destroyed? Where did it come from? Eretz Israel Eretz did not have the flood. The land of Israel did not have the flood. And also, according to Chazal, every place that did not have people, every place in the world, it did not have people. Did not have to get destroyed. Why destroy something that didn't get ruined? For what purpose? It'll serve no purpose. To just destroy something for no reason. So, for example, some people ask a very, very smart question. So, well, listen. There is a uh, midrash that says that originally the entire uh, all of the land was one piece, and then after the flood, it broke into seven pieces, seven continents that we have. And it's actually scientific proof that they were all one piece at some point. And according to the Torah, it actually agrees with it. It used to be one piece. After the flood, it broke into seven pieces. You look at the Zohar Kadosh, Pashat Noach, that's what it says. So, it has as a source for this. That it broke into several pieces and so on. Okay, fine. But it says that Noach put all the animals in the ark. If he put them in the ark... They were all on one land. He gathered whatever animals from all over the world. Fine, to put them in the ark is one thing. But how did they, after the world was destroyed, and there were seven pieces now, how did the lion go back to Africa? How did the bear go back to Greenland? How did this happen? Antarctica, wherever it is. You know, these different places. How? How, how, did, they, you know, how did this happen? So that's where the Midrash comes in and says... Not the entire world was destroyed. Only the places that they had people. Only the places that had people, those places were destroyed. So I thought I was the only one in the world that thought that the whole world was destroyed, but apparently it doesn't seem like I was. So, I'm not the only fool. So, thank you. So now, excuse me, so now, we see that Hashemit Ibarach gave the generation of Noah a certain amount of time to fix themselves. The generation of the, of the uh, Tower of Babel fixed themselves. Everybody had some time to fix themselves. We've had 2,000 years to fix ourselves. We've had 2,000 years to fix ourselves since the Beit dust was destroyed. And we still can't get it right. We make a lot of promises to Hashem on Rosh on Yom Kippur, on Sukkot, on Shana Rabbah, a lot of promises. With the request for every hundred requests, There's one promise. Fine, Hashem says, "Okay, I'll give you the ten million. Just give me ten bucks a month. Give me ten bucks a month. You're never going to be able to pay me back, but just just for a show of good faith." And we can't do it. Why? Because the reality is, most of us are not doing what we're doing for Shem Shemayim. Most of us are doing what we're doing because we're selfish. That's what Rabbi Yochanan Hesendla is telling us. The reason why you're not succeeding is because your assembly with Hashem, your promises to Hashem, your mitzvot with Hashem, your learning with Hashem, everything you're doing with Hashem, you're not doing it for Hashem. You're doing it for you. You're learning because it's interesting to you. You're mitzvot just because you don't want to get fun. You, you don't want to get uh, fired from your job. You don't want to get uh, uh, you know uh, fined on the way to work from some uh, cop. You don't want to get punished in some way or another. You're doing mitzvot not because of Hashem. You're just scared of getting punished, or you want Hashem to give you a million dollars. Or you want Hashem to find you the perfect soulmate. You're not doing it for Hashem. You're not doing it for Hashem. You're not doing it for Hashem. You're doing because you're selfish. Rabbi Yochanan is telling you over here that connection you have, that assembly you have with Hashem. It's not. It's not with Hashem. It's with you with yourself. You're looking in the mirror. That's why it's not succeeding. You went went to pray, oh yeah, yeah, I go to Nets every day, 6 o'clock in the morning. You don't go at 6 o'clock in the morning because of Hashem. You go because you want to give you a big contract when you get to work at 8.30. And realistically, if you're going to pray, you have to pray at 6 o'clock in the morning. And you want work to work, so you want to pray. You're doing it because you want money, because you love money, not because you love Hashem. You're nice to your wife because you wanted to have sex with you or you want to take care of your kids, or you want to make your food, not because you love her, because you want something. That's why it's not working. That's why it's not working. That's why it feels so heavy. That's why the sack you're carrying up the mountain feels so heavy, because you're not doing it for the right reason. That's what Rabbi Yohanan is telling you. That assembly you have, that connection you have, it's fake. It's fake. It's not for Shem Shemaim. It's for you. It's for your selfish reasons. That's why it's not working. That's why it feels so heavy. That's why you don't like the mitzvot all the time. That's why you're learning. is like you're poking your eyes until you finish the parashat Shavua. Learn one daf gemara, you want to like faint. Oh, I learned daf Kamara, you want to publicize to the whole neighborhood. I finished daf yomi. I finished daf yomi. Okay, can you repeat something? Oh no, I forgot. What do you mean? You just finished. I don't know. I don't remember it. So if you don't remember it, why don't you remember, why don't you go over it again? No, I already finished it. I want to go into that stuff. So did you learn it to learn it or did you learn it just to tell people you learned it? If you're learning to tell people you're learning it, you're not learning it for Hashem. If you're doing tefillin to tell people that, that you're doing tefillin, you're not doing tefillin for Hashem. If you're only religious at home but everyone else in the world thinks you're still secular, you're not really religious. You're faker. That's why it's not working out. That's why it's not working out. Tanah Rabbi Eliyahu says every day we have three covenants. Brit Shabbat, Tzilim. We, can, we have to exercise two at all times. And Tfilin six days a week. Since you cannot do Tefillin on Shabbat, Shabbat takes the place of Tfilin, so you can still do two of the covenants. So Eliyahu Navi asks in the third section of Tanah de Eliyahu, third book. How could it be that someone that had these covenants on him be mechalel Shabbat? How could someone laced tefillin all week become mechalel Shabbat? This is because when someone really laced tefillin He gets used to that covenant. Someone protects his Brit. He gets used to that covenant. It's very different than the Shabbat covenant. So when we heard about Slofchad, the first person that violated Shabbat, mentioned in the Torah, this is a week after we got the Torah. So Eliyahu Navi says, do you know why he violated Shabbat? Because... He wasn't used to this new covenant of Shabbat. And that's why as soon as he violated Shabbat, Hashem knew we have to do something that will be physical, material, that we can carry on all the time. To at least remind us of the tefillin we have to lay tomorrow. And the tefillin we laid yesterday. That covenant you had to keep the whole week. And you can't do on Shabbat? Something to remind you of the Tefillin. Something to remind you you're still religious. Shabbat is now. You don't realize Shabbat is a big deal sometimes. So as soon as violated Shabbat, what did Hashem say? The other one says, I gave Am Yisrael mitzvah tzitzit. I gave Am Yisrael mitzvah tzitzit. Why? To remind them that the Tefillin, they laid yesterday. The Tefillin, they're going to lay tomorrow. Something physical. That's where you wear tzitzit. That's where you wear tzitzit. It actually has a connection with the first violator of Shabbat. If you're only wearing your tzitzit at home, but not outside, you're not doing it for Hashem. You're not doing it for Hashem. If you're only keeping Shabbat because you like to have your friends over to show them how nice your house is and how good your food is, you're not doing it for Hashem. Your assembly, your connection, your meeting with Hashem, it's not working. It's not going to last. So, how can you fix it? Yeah. Is there any
1: difference
0: between showing and not showing? It? No, it's a minag. Minag, minag more, uh, min- some minagim has to show it, some have a minag to not show it. Ravavadia said it's perfectly fine for you to put it in your pockets or to not show it uh, on the, uh, on the uh, Sephardic world and the Ashkenazi world it's much more common for people to show it but in reality both have uh, you know are perfectly valid the mitzvah is not for you to show it the mitzvah like a, like a Chanukah lamp like a chunukiah. you don't have to show it to the world the mitzvah is for you to remember you're wearing it. So if you're showing it to the world or not it's irrelevant. Just the key is to make sure you remember you're wearing it. Every time you go to the bathroom, you remember you're wearing a tzitzit. Every time you uh, take a shower, you remember you're wearing tzitzit. Every time you move, really, you're, you remember you're wearing tzitzit. So that's important to know that you're wearing tzitzit. Um, it, for me personally, I like to have, uh, um, most of the time I have the tzitzit inside. But I like to have the thick tzitziot. I like the thick tzitziot. And the reason why is because I can always feel them always reminds me of wearing a tzitzit. Some people like the thin tzitzit because they don't want to feel them. So it's you to forget you're wearing a tzitzit. The point of a tzitzit is, So you don't follow the things of your eyes and the things that are in your heart. point of a tzitzit is to remind you not to make sins. So in order for me to be reminded and not make sins, I need to be reminded. What's to be reminded? I need to wear a tzitzit. I need to have tzitzit that I know I'm wearing. So, that's why I do it. But uh, again, everybody has, it's perfectly fine if you have the smaller tzitzit. The key is to wear tzitzit. The key is to wear it for the right reason. The key is to be religious inside the house and outside the house. If you're suffering through your mitzvot, if every time you give tzedakah, it's like you feel like you just gave a kidney, your assembly with Hashem is not going to last. If every time you're learning Torah, you feel like you just climbed Mount Vesuvius, <laughs> your assembly with Hashem is not going to last. If every time you wear a kippa, you feel like you just did Akedat Yitzchak, your connection with Hashem is not going to last. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. It's not gonna last. What does it mean it's not going to last? It's either only a matter of time before you fall off completely, your tshuva goes into the garbage, or you'll be one of the many datilonim that are in the world, that are infesting the world. What's a datiloni? It's a secular person that looks religious. It's a secular person that keeps Shabbat. You're living a double life. No, robot is is an upgrade from there. Robot is an upgrade from there. It's a person that calls himself Jewish but doesn't really believe in God. It's a person that believes in God created the world but he ran out of money. Your assembly is not going to last. What can we do about it? The Vilna Gaon, Allah Shalom someone Came to him and told him, Listen, there's no Etrogim. There's no Etrogim. But I have an Etrog. I have an Etrog. Normal year, it's an average Etrog. This year, since I'm the only one that has an Etrog, it's a special Etrog. I'm willing to sell it to you. I'll buy it. What's your price? Your Olamaba. Vilna wow. not, Gaon, not me and you. I'll buy We have Olamaba. Vilna Gaon. On the spot Vilna Gaon says deal. Faitrog. <laughs> deal. after the trog. After come to him. Is Talmidim come to him? Is Talmidim come to him? He says, lam-deni, teach us. Faitrog. <laughs> Faitrog, if you don't have it, anos, you don't have, it. nobody has. You give your a ba? A day after Sukkot, it's worthless. As a matter of fact, the trog—if it's pasul, you still use it on the second day. First day, you can't use it. Second day, third day, fourth—you can use it. Pasul, you can still use it. First day, you can't use it. You Give it. your Allah for that. Teach us what's the Vilna Gaon says. Why you do all the mitzvot? Why you do tefillin? Why you keep Shabbat? Why are you keeping? Why are you put titzit on? For what? For yourself? For reward? For lama'ba? It's not gonna last. You won't survive. One day you're gonna get a test. You're gonna fail. It's not gonna last if you're doing it for lama'ba. If you're not gonna last if you're looking for millions of dollars. It's not gonna last if you're looking for a good life, for a wonderful life full of greatness. It's not gonna last. Why? The minute Hashem gives you a test, you're gonna fail. You're gonna break like little pieces. A little Lego. You're not going to last if you're looking for everything to be grand. Why we do mitzvot? For Hashem. Does it make a difference if I get a Lama ba or not? I'm doing it for Hashem. Ain't the same Hashem that I'm doing it for. If He wants me to have a Lama I'll give him a Lama That's Vilna Gaon. What about us? We can't sell that talk. There's no Vilna Gaon we have. We have. We have a deal. We have a deal. We spoke about briefly. You have to ask yourself a few questions. One. Does everybody here believe in the thirteen principles of faith? Everybody believe in the thirteen principles of faith the local flame? Believe, yeah, yeah. Show of hands. Anybody doesn't believe in 13 principles of faith? Okay, Baruch Hashem. Okay, one of the 13 principles of faith is that there's going to be reward and punishment. Hashem will reward the righteous. Hashem will punish the wicked. Right? Does everybody believe in that principle, you, believe, you said before you believe in all 13. I'm going to ask again. You believe that there's reward and punishment? Because if you don't believe in there's reward and punishment, you're a gamur. You have no olam We have to have a different shiwa for you. Anyone who doesn't believe there's reward and punishment in this world and the next has no olam It's considered a kofir gamur. You believe there's reward and punishment. So I'm going to ask you the third the third and last question. How many of you are okay with the fact that many of your brothers and sisters are going to get punished? Okay. Which one of you is okay with it no. that your brother is going to go to Gehenom? No raise your hand which one wants his brother to go to Gehenom? Which one wants his sister to go to Gehenom? Not for like a week, like a vacation, Tahiti, but a bad one where the airplane doesn't work really good. You have to go by boat. No, no like like a norm, nice, nice, long, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine thousand years. Ooh, who who Show of hands. Who online is happy with their family, friends, and all their loved ones going to Ganom forever? Which one? Anybody? Okay. So any normal human being was not going to raise their hand. So, if you believe in the thirteen principles of faith, and you believe that one of them says there's reward and punishment, and you believe that you don't want any of your friends, family, neighbors, loved ones, members of Am Israel, members of the civilization, to not go to the punished part. That's your ticket. That's your only way to show whether what you're doing is for Shem Shamayim or for yourself. Only way. If you're just doing the mitzvah because you want a good life for you, it won't last. Your tshuva can never be complete. Why? You have a bunch of people you know and you say you care about, but you're lying to their face every day. By telling them you love them, you're lying to their face every day. Why? Because you know That they're sinning, and eventually they're going to get punished by the same things you just said you believe in. You believe there's reward and punishment, they're violating Shabbat, they will be punished. They're going out with non Jews, they're going to be punished. They eat non kosher, they're going to be punished. You believe this, you're not doing anything about it. What you're doing is not for Hashem, it's for yourself. But if you're doing it for Hashem, That means that you care about Hashem. If you care about Hashem, then you care about what He cares about. If you care about what He cares about, then you care about what He cares about most. And what He cares about most, according to Him, is His children. And when His children ran away from home and they don't realize that they're missing, when His children are constantly sinning but they're not realizing that they're sinning, when his children are constantly going against him and making him an enemy without even realizing that they're doing something wrong, they're sending him a $10 check that bounces after he gave them a $10 million loan and they don't see anything wrong with it. By you not doing anything about it, you're no different than them. And that's why the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, also in Avodah Zara and a few other places, in a a person that sees another person's sins and doesn't do anything about it, it's the same thing as if they sinned. In Masechet Shabbat, it says Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, had a neighbor that had a uh, cow that carried things, Cow is not allowed to carry extra things. You're allowed to only; she's only allowed to wear things that help you move her from one place to another, pull her from one place to another. But she's not allowed to wear like extra bells or whistles, things that are not necessary. So, if your cow is wearing that, the cow is violating Shabbat, and thereby the owner is violating Shabbat. So the Gemara says that Rabir Lazar ben Azaria's cow violated Shabbat. Maz then asks, "Wait, Rabbi Elazar ben azai had only one cow? He says, no, he had plenty of cows. He's a billionaire. His Marcel was a hundred and twenty thousand cows per year. Marcel. So why is he only why, why are you only mentioning this one cow?" says, "Because it really wasn't his cow. It was his neighbor's cow. His neighbor was a nice little lady who didn't know anything about Shabbat. Didn't know anything about the rules." And her cow would violate Shabbat, would carry these things, and Rabbi Lazar didn't say anything. Didn't say anything there. Didn't rebuke her. He said, so just because she, her cow violated Shabbat, he didn't say anything, it's like he violated Shabbat. And because of that, he fasted, when he learned about this from the Chachamim, he fasted for the rest of his life, to the point where all of his teeth became black. For One violating one violation of Shabbat. Not the way she violated Shabbat his whole life. One violation of Shabbat. Once. He fasted for the rest of his life. Why? He didn't want to be a sub. He didn't want God to hate him. So, we cannot be the guy that sold the etok to Vilna Gaon. We cannot be Vilna Gaon. What we can be is we can show Hashem that we're not so selfish. We're doing what we're doing because we love Him. If the diamond is heavy, that's because you don't know it's a diamond. If the mitzvot are heavy, it's because you don't know they're mitzvot. If it's hard for you to wear a kippa, that means you don't understand what you're doing. If it's hard for you to be religious outside of the house, that means you don't realize you're not really you're not really religious yet. If you don't care about amisah doing chuva. If that's not your number one priority, what are you doing it for? Why are you religious at all then? Because if it's not for loving Hashem, it's not going to last. That's what we learn. From the parasha, from the mishnayot, from the uh, different types of chidushim, we see from Hashem Barach that He gives us a lot of time. Gives us a lot of time. He gave the Doha bull a lot of time to do tshuva. They didn't do tshuva. Everybody worried about themselves. Eventually Hashem destroyed all of them. Why? Rabbi Yochanan HaSandlar says, Shamayim En Sofa itkayem." If it's not for Shem Shamaim, it will eventually end. The time will eventually run out. Doha bull thought they're going to live forever. The average guy was alive 900 years. When your best friend died young at 350 years old, you're not so worried about dying. Everyone thought they're going to live forever. Today, somebody came to me and says, oh, you know, with modern medicine, within the next couple of uh, decades, people are going to live forever. I said, yes, if they were God, they would. But as long as there's a God, like there always has been and always will be, all that's just for commercial purposes. It nothing, means nothing. Medicine, this medicine, that medicine, it's all nonsense. Number one thing you have to understand is Hashem runs the world. If Hashem runs the world and you agree, you believe, you have to start getting on the right page. If you want your tshuva to last, if you want your connection to Hashem to grow, you have to start picking it up. Those promises you made during the Yamima Noaim, these big days that we just passed, the holidays, it's time to deliver on that promise. It's time to upgrade. Just doing the basic minimum, just because you want Hashem to give you money, or a bunch of other things, is not enough. You have to give Him something. You have to give Him something in return. You have to get involved with Kiruv. You have to help other people do tshuva. You have to get people to come to shiurim. You have to get people to keep Shabbat. You have to show Hashem you're not just doing it for the for the ten million dollars he gave you, because in reality the deal is unfair. He gave you ten million; you're, he's asking you for ten dollars back. It's not a fair deal. Everything you're asking for, it's not fair. What you're giving him back? You got to upgrade. You got to upgrade.